Cradeline Network. Space Spinner 2000, podcast where we try to make sense of the UK's own galaxy's greatest comic 2000 AD, one month of progs at a time. This week, we're, t- we're taking a break from our usual progs to cover the Judge Dredd annual 1991. As always, annuals are dated for the year they come, or the year after they come out in. And this is the 11th and final Judge Dredd annual. After this one, we'll do yearbooks for about three years, which, uh, from what I've seen, at least, of, like, the 92-year books seem like they're going to be just the new content without the filler. But I guess we'll figure out if that's true or not as we go forward. Um, this often requested annual. This is one where I feel like four or five people asked me if they could cover this one. Um <laughs> <laughs> has some has has some really excellent stories, including a very important crossover and a shocking like three text stories. A lot of text in this one, though. I guess that's better than the story indexes that have plagued the other specials this year. Price the annuals gone up a whole pound to four pounds ninety five. But for me, the big news is my guest for this episode. It's the return of Dave, the monarch of the <laughs> two thousand eighty forums. Welcome back, Dave. I could totally imagine that this was highly requested because just going by the main story of this, but we'll get to that. Hi, everyone. Yeah, de- yeah <laughs> definitely. At least once I actually uh, did give it to somebody else and realized that I had already given it to you like years ago. So, you, know, you traitor. <laughs> <laughs> I, listen, like my, you know, I'm a, I, I, the paperwork is difficult to remember what's going on with all this stuff. You know, that's my defense. <laughs> yeah. Well, w- welcome back to the show for sure. It's been a little while. Um, uh, but I, I think the last time you were around was, um, at the end of last year, but we did have you back for the Star Lordathon as well, which was excellent. Oh, that was wonderful. And I, I am graduate eating all the bits that I never got to listen to on the day, so it has been really fantastic so far. Star Lord is totally a war criminal, and always will be. Yeah, absolutely. Come on. You know, he's recruiting, he's building paramilitary groups of children all over England. Like, it's clear that this is not, this is not cool stuff, you know, like... He's teaching kids about lasers and things, you know. My that skateboard strike force is extremely sinister. We all know it. <laughs> on a serious on a on a on a the Star Lord of Fun was great fun. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I mean, we Fox and I had Fox and I. De- I would say we definitely had fun for the first ten hours. I want to say. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and then the last maybe four or five hours were much more about like survival i think of just sort of like you know oh that's like, great like when you're like like the difference between like um well i i guess like like a marathon actually where it's like oh yes like this is a fun run like sort of you know on a weekend the sun's out everything's fine and towards the end it's just like i will survive nothing will stop me 
<laughs> I finished these miles by will alone, you know. <laughs> and and you managed it. Somehow you managed it. <laughs> yeah, I got, yeah. I mean, honestly, um, I'm editing as we're recording this. I'm 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 slowly editing the content, and I really feel like the bi- my big mistake was putting in that Star Lord annual. I should have found something else to put in there because that was like. Oh yeah, bump in our in our in our in our progress. Just because I I forgot how bad those seventies annuals are and how much Fox hates them. So it's sort of like you know, oh you yeah, for these things. The the time awesome, when the time when IPC would just find any old strip line in the archives that haven't been destroyed and just stick it in an annual because it's cheap. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. It's just all of this, all of this ancient, ancient stuff, and you know, I I remain pissed off that they had five in five like installments of this one story about this you know kid from Jupiter doing Archie stuff, and then the final story was invaders from Jupiter, and there wasn't any any overlap there. Like, come on. Guys. <laughs> um, <laughs> Anyway, though, so why did you request this annual? I, you know, I, I know you jumped at the chance way back when, but um, well, I'm wondering what, why it, why it's so dear to you, or why you're so interested in, uh, in, in, in getting in on it. Well, this is my first ever exposure to anything that is 2000 AD related, apart from one little plug five three four that was in a hospital waiting room. So this is my first. Oh, wow. This is my first exposure to 2000 AD properly. Oh my gosh, that's amazing! <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I was not. I was surprised at how strong this annual was in hindsight compared to some of the stuff that I read later. But this was definitely my first exposure, and it was also my first exposure in my favorite comic book character, Johnny Alpha. Oh, nice. Yeah, this is a real fun Johnny Alpha comic for sure. In fact, I was so I loved Johnny Alpha so much that I decided to get the issue of 2000 AD that was on the shelf at the time that I got this annual, and it was the one where he died. Oh no! <laughs> Thank you, Fog, you evil, evil bugger. <laughs> oh man, that's terrible. That's just like... That's so. That's such a '90s thing. I think, like with killing off characters and stuff, that you get into. You you think you're into somebody. You're really interested. You go to get the comic, and boom, the dead. <laughs> yeah. So after that little bombshell, I decided to look in my comic store at the time and managed to get some cheap best of 2080s and got some that had. Strontium Dog in it, and yeah, I really like Strontium Dog, and god damn it that he had to die at the exact same time this annual came out. <laughs> yeah, definitely, I feel, yeah, it is around, definitely around those same times, I know we've, we've just covered it on the show as we're, like, as these are coming out, um, like maybe one or two episodes ago. <laughs> But yeah, it's a uh, man, such a cr- such a huge a huge moment in 2000 AD. This de- like it's like this whole year has been just full of revelations, like of of the dead man, and then and then Johnny Alpha, Judge Magruder coming back, all this all these different things in these in, the, in these big comics. Chopper apparently dying, but then not dying. 
<laughs> yeah, that's true too. Yeah, I guess we start. Yeah, we started with Chopper and Dead Man in the same comic. Oh man. But yeah, he'll be he'll be he'll be back. Chopper at least will be back with us soon enough in the pages of the magazine, you know. So that's that's yeah, that's Big Meg One's problem. <laughs> yeah, listen, come on, I don't care. I don't care about Big Meg One, Conrad. You know, like we're still. It's not till 1992 that these annuals and yearbooks become a Big Meg One situation. You know, like that's a whole different Conrad, frankly. Like. <laughs> He's he's red while I'm I'm blue, you know. That's sort of how you can differentiate us, basically. <laughs> All right, awesome. Oh man, so yeah, I appreciate you 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 coming on here and sharing that story. That's really great. Just um, it's cool. I think as we're sort of getting into the '90s, I feel like I'm 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 starting to talk to folks that are more like sort of in this second wave of 2080 fandom, I guess. Like, yeah, I think I was about eight at the time all of this was happening, if I remember right. Because mm-hmm. I have vivid memories of Johnny Alpha dying, uh, mm-hmm. Robo Hunter for how bad it was, and I had never read a single page of the original Robo Hunter and oh. I knew I knew this thing this thing that was stinking up the seven hundreds was bad even as an eight year old. And <laughs> the other thing that I remember quite vividly is Indigo Prime killing time. Oh yes, yeah we're getting close now. We've just started um we just saw the, the, the start of Chris Weston on Indigo Prime and we're getting real close to uh to killing time for uh God, well. God, I hope Fox likes it. I am going to be, because I know how much he didn't like the Isigieri variations. And to be honest, I don't exactly like that either. So I really hope he likes Killing Time. I really do. Well, we'll see. I mean, I feel like I'm, I, I admit to be a little worried about that as well. Um, <laughs> but I feel like he was, he did like the, uh, some of those, like, after, like, post-relaunch Indigo Primes, like, with, um, oh, I forget all the different guys, but, like, you know, that, that one where the alien town had been visited by Starsky and Hutch or something like that. Um, ah, for, like, for, those I, for Gredo and Brecht, I think it was, that one. Yes, yes, yeah, that's it, yeah. God, I am such a nerd. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> hey, listen. I mean, I've I I could admit to knowing stranger trivia, so I feel like you know, like this is a safe space for for a comic nerddom. All right, like come on, um, but um, yeah, but I feel like he was sort of down with that, so I'm hoping that he'll g- at least give Killing Time a chance at the very least, and uh, sort of and Chris Weston's promised to come back on and talk about it, so I'm sort of like you know. He's sort of, <laughs> Oh, I am so looking forward to that. (laughs) That was his request after our torture porn episode, which was like, like, have me back on for something that I like to talk about. I was like, okay, listen, I'm down. (laughs) Am I I figuring that this might be a Space Spinner 2000 special? The one good thing I ever did by Chris Weston? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I don't know. I haven't, I haven't planned it out yet. I must say, but like that is something I'm sort of, I'm sort of, th- you know, I'm, I'm sort of putting it in my back pocket to talk about to try to, to, to I, get it back on here or something. I am, of course, totally kidding. Chris Weston is fantastic. All of his art's fantastic. Even his dodgy early stuff is fantastic. And I will go to my grave believing that. 
Yeah, I think you know, like he's a great artist, and I think it's just sort of like I can I can empathize with how he felt at the Winter Special. Like, like I said at the time, like it's hard for me to listen to our to like my podcasts from like you know from the start of this show i guess like and that was just like four years ago you know i could only imagine what it'll be like like when those podcasts are 30 years old and i'm listening and i listen back to them or something like that like you just have to i feel like it's the sign of a creator to like only be partially happy with your work no matter what it is <laughs> to be to be to be fair i think i feel the same way from my early uh jaded desktop stuff i'll talk about at the end, but basically, so my first one or two LPs that I did for the Jaded Desktop aren't exactly fantastic because I had not gotten used to the whole meshing the audio of the game and the audio of the people talking thing. So the game was louder than the people talking and made them nigh unusable. <sighs> yeah, I, mean, I think it's the nature of, you know, I mean, everybody, it's a process for everybody. I don't think anybody walks into a creative situation knowing how to do everything. You know, there's sort of, there's things that experience provides. Um, and so I, and I think that honestly, if you came into something perfect and never improved or changed, that seems like it would be like sad or boring maybe or something like that. Like, I don't know. So I, I, I think it's a good sign, honestly, for everyone to be uncomfortable with their early work. That's, you know? that's kind of why when at the end of the Star Waterfall, when Fox asked me what I should, what he should start with on the Jaded Desktop, that's why I said, start with Dark Cloud. Do not, do not do anything before that. I am not good at all before that. Dark Cloud's the first <laughs> one. We got, we got semi half decent. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. Hey, I'm glad Fox is checking up on everybody as well. That's that's pretty cool. Um, but cool. Okay, so I think let's jump into this annual, I think. Yeah, been, We're ready to go. Yeah, I've been waffling on for 15 minutes and we haven't even got to that actual annual yet. I am so sorry. <laughs> hey, listen, you know, I'm I'm trying to talk to my pod friends, you know. I'm, I'm all alone out here. I'm ready to, I'm ready to mingle. Um, but yeah, so just to give you some context, uh, we're getting this episode... After finishing Prague 691, so we're sort of in like the second half of Necropolis, like the the cadets led by Giant have just found Judge Anderson in the Undercity. Uh, we're reaching the end of Medivac 318 and kind of a midpoint of Harlem Heroes, I guess. And then we've just started uh, Slaying the Horn God 3 and uh, Dry Run as well. Sort of in this in this later half of this necropolis period, I guess. Um, kind of yeah, jumping in. Kind of yeah. the beginning yeah. of the mixed bad game. Got some good, got some yeah. bad. <laughs> I mean, I'll definitely say I feel like 1990s always has been like that completely. There's been like we've all like the whole year. I feel like so far there's been maybe two or three, like two, like in a five thrill prog, there's been two thrills way up at the top, maybe one thrill in the middle and then two thrills way at the bottom, you know? And, and, and a lot of that's Harlem heroes, but like yeah. also other stuff that's not great in there. Okay. Like I, sh I once again, uh, I swear my eternal enmity to new Harlem heroes, but you know, yeah, it's not, it's not good at all. And it just keeps coming back like a clock watch because Michael Fleischer just wrote too much of it. 
Well, I mean, you know, not to get not to get too into it, but that's definitely like the down. Like we sort of talked, or we did, and we're going to talk about it on the show. But yeah, it's this sort of the like they the the wrong lesson was learned from that rough patch at the end of '88 into '89, where they had no scripts. It was instead like when you have a standing order for scripts, sometimes someone will just sort of keep just tossing stuff your way and you paid for it and then you have to use it. And then it's like, oh, my God, like we're sort of, you know, cursed by content here. <laughs> and then you have a situation like poor David Bishop in 1996, who's still publishing crap that was paid for years earlier when he's just to do his exactly. own thing. <laughs> Poor guy. <laughs> yeah, he's just like you. Just, you just gotta bail it out. It's like it's like it's like having a move, but like you had a roommate that sort of left without paying the rent and stuff. Now you gotta deal with all this other stuff. But okay, so cover this annual is by Jamie Hewlett. Uh, Dreads holding a lawgiver to a perp's face, and this is an extremely Jamie J- Jamie Hewlett kind of uh, kind of perp here. Oh yeah, it's very Jamie Hewlett, isn't it? <laughs> He's got the got the big ba uh, 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 nuke earring and stuff like that, um, like almost a hooligan sort of uh, sort of haircut as well. Um, honestly, like because it's it's dread and the perp kind of both looking out at the screen and stuff. This almost looks like a selfie or something <laughs> like that. Like, <laughs> an, an early selfie before yeah. selfies even exist. <laughs> Yeah, but it's it's I don't know it's 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 like this guy with his purple lipstick has just been hold on a second like like let me get a let me get a shot of this for the gram before getting before getting arrested you know <laughs> and dread like is required by Justice Department regulations to oblige or whatever so they sort of did it that he arrested and they arrested him and kicked the shit out of him or something. <laughs> So uh, then, the inside cover is a uh, is uh, has the table of contents and art by Colin McNeil. It's got a uh, got a juve spray painting on a badge on a wall. What's in it for us? And then we just jump right in to thrill one top dogs. <laughs> Very exciting. Uh, Scripter about John Wagner, art about Colin McNeil, letter about Gordon Kid Robson. Yeah, and um, as so as this kid spray painting around the corner, two figures um, in a golden sh- in, in a golden halo uh, warp into existence. It's pretty awesome. They check their watches, draw a circle in chalk on the ground, then head out into the mega city. Just two dudes and in suits and briefcases. They hail a cab and head to the the Durango Lux apps. And meanwhile, the judges are investigating something and it's sort of colored in a way that makes it clear like that we've gone unstuck. Honestly, like maybe it's because they're wearing these suits and stuff as well as this sort of disjointed time stuff. But this section feels extremely Pulp Fiction to me, despite the fact that it's four years before Pulp Fiction. (laughs) It really does, doesn't it? Like they're sort of jumping around in time. Plus, um, our guys are being very, um, very Jules and Vince in, uh, in their look here. But, um, yeah, um, there's a circular hole cut in a man's ceiling and McNeil, I'll, I'll note here as we're sort of looking at these guys, McNeil's drawn a very wide Brendan McCarthy style judge helmets in, um, in his depiction of the judges here. Really is. Um, the guy upstairs. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, that, you know, it's 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 way more of a salad bowl than some of the uh, the more sort of pill shaped ones of other other artists, I guess. Um, there's a guy upstairs who is using fake papers and doesn't appear in any Justice Department files, and half of him doesn't appear to exist at all because he's just an upper torso. Oh, geez. <laughs> They're, they're going to check immigration, but there's something weird about him. Like, he's got several unknown virus strains on him, way more than even someone from the Cursed Earth would have. Um, and then we flash back, and we see this same guy looking at a ring with a jeweler's loop, when suddenly these two suited figures show up and pull guns on him. They pistol whip him. We learn that his name is Shiggy, and, and uh, these guys are looking for someone named Ringo, they toss some kind of disc at him as the tech judge explains that Shiggy's legs don't look like they've been disintegrated or anything. There's no ash or whatever. They're just sort of cleanly cut and vaporized or what, or something. In the past, Shiggy rats out Ringo, but it's too late. His lower torso and the floor disappear under him. This is getting weird, but also strangely familiar. <laughs> Yeah, we should point out to anyone who hasn't actually read this issue that we don't actually see who these two guys are outside of being in suits for the first half of this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they've just got, got suits and isotoner gloves and otherwise you just sort of see them like from behind or like when they when they when they first attack Shiggy you sort of see them through the just through like the fisheye of his jeweler's loop and stuff like they're doing they are sort of we are sort of it they're sort of alienating or 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 predatoring these guys like where you only see like fits and splashes of them but you also kind of if you know what you're looking for you can kind of be like "Ooh, i think i might know what's going on here Which is very, very cool. I, I will admit that, obviously, since this was my first ever thing and I had no clue who Strontum Dog is or whatever, this was just mm-hmm. intriguing to me. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, I think even if you don't have an idea of the characters, that does sort of make this, like, here are these, like, mysterious assassins that have suddenly, that have appeared out of a glowing light and stuff. Like, that's cool, no matter what it is, even if you don't have any, um any like 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 background or experience with what with what it actually is i guess <laughs> um but so that's to be continued we're gonna pick this thing up later on in the annual for now let's go to thrill to questionnaire john wagner this is very bizarre <laughs> Yeah, listen. Like this is definitely just just the first part of a series of filler um of, of of filler things in this annual bunch of cheeky questions this time for the co-creator of Judge Dredd. Though strangely they list the other co-creator as Pat Mills, which is sort of a party line that will change as time goes by. For some reason, John Wagner's a dog man here. <laughs> <laughs> He's got like He's got like um, I think he's supposed to be dro- uh, partially droopy because that's a cu- a couple answers that he has in his questions. But I think like, that's the idea. <laughs> like 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 long floppy black like droopy or or goofy ears and like a dog nose and it's just but otherwise it's just kind of like John Wagner and so it's very odd. Uh, it's very bizarre, but it also has one of my favorite things ever, which. 
is unfortunately still very true today, and that's the fact that he list, he answers the question, what is your favourite record with most lies told by a single government, Conservatives 1975 slash. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> like, yeah, to the... To the present, you know. Um, yeah, no, there is some some trenchant political political um, political <laughs> observations in this one. Um, these are very much like all these questionnaires are sort of very jokey and stuff. I do. It's it's funny that I think this this annual is the source of maybe fifty percent of um, of Barney's pictures of two thousand AD creators. I think I just I, I recognize a lot of these pictures for sure of a two thousand AD org and stuff. I do like that um, they ask him who his favorite artist is and um, his 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 tip top choice is Colin McNeil, who he's working with in this annual. It's very dip- a very diplomatic choice for sure. Um, I will, I will, I will not you know, say he's not wrong because Colin McNeil is fantastic. Oh, absolutely! I just feel like I mean he also lists like Kev, like like Don Martin, Kev O'Neill, Mike McMahon, Cam Kennedy, all great artists, but I feel like all very different artists as well. They sort of they bring different different things to the table, you know. I would. Hard for me to I would say that those artists mentioned are kind of on my top list too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, listen, you know, when you got John Wagner, you're getting, you know, he's able to work with these top guys in within the 2000 AD wheelhouse and stuff. Um, but hey, speaking of, of, of future top guys, let's go to Thrill 3 Exercise Duty. Um, I was surprised at this one, actually. Uh, script robot Andy Landing and Dan Abnett, art robot Anthony Williams and Andy Landing. Uh, but this was ex- exciting for me because I'm I'm a huge Dan Abnett fan. I'm I'm, gen- um, I'm genuinely like, surprised that the creator, well, sort of, well, let's put creators in quotes. The creators of the Guardians of the Galaxy, who are currently in like two films and a third one on its way, who created that particular group. This is early work from them. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, I mean, like, I first came to Abnet writing, like, Warhammer 40k novels and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, he's about, but, but it, it's, and of course, he's a, he's a huge force both in mainstream comics or in, a, in American comics, I should say, and in 2000 AD. I mean, I feel like he always, like, you know, he has a cup, he, he, he has a story in the Prague and the Meg almost every, every issue, you know, between he's doing Lawless in the Meg and stuff like, um, like Sinister Dexter or whatever else in the, in, 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 in the Prague these days. Yeah, um, it's like he's, he's never been out of the Prague for a long, long, long time now. And that's not a bad thing because he's fantastic. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, starting around like, like, like the, uh, the 900s or so when he comes in, it's definitely, that's definitely one of those things I'm, um, I'm really looking forward to in in the comic. Uh, at this point, he's about two years into the comics industry. So I, I, I research for this one. Uh, Dan Abnett, he's been um, mostly working with Andy Landing, who's who is his uh, a big writing partner of his. He's been working on uh, UK ver- on a Doctor Who on UK versions of a uh, real Ghostbusters and Thundercats. Like he's still about two years away from Death's Head Two and other things like that. And like I said, yeah. And Andy Lanning is a is a big uh, co-author with Abnet. They'll work on the relaunch of the Authority together, and like you said, they will do the uh, they'll create the version of the Guardians of the Galaxy that the movies get made from. Yep. <laughs> 
It's real, real cool. And I don't know, like I like like as much as um as this as this annual is is rightly known for the uh, Judge Dredd Johnny Alpha crossover. This first work by by Dan Abnett related to 2000 ID, I think is also a big milestone. I will, I will say, I'm not usually a fan of tech stories, but I think the tech stories in this annual are actually pretty decent. Yeah, definitely. I feel like, like, like a lot of these feel like, I don't know, I don't know if, like, I've sort of heard theories that a lot of times these, these tech stories are sort of just comic ideas that have been rendered into a fiction form. And I kind of feel it this way, but I think they're, they are taking some attempt to like up the language, I guess, and make it feel more like an actual short story, I guess. Cause this one's pretty fun. It's got some good illusions and like scene setting and things like that, that I think really, um, make it work as, as fiction. Um, but it seems like uh, Judge Cassandra Anderson's part of this uh, five-judge exorcism squad that travels the city periodically looking for things to to take out. There's like, you know, two two sides and two regular judges that just kind of have to deal with the size being weird. Um, and it's told mostly um, in two parts, but mostly as a flashback to a particularly p- powerful possession case. Randerson had no choice but to burn out the uh, possessed man's brain because it had been possessed by like the spirits of 90,000 people all at once and were sort of threatening to destroy the city. So instead, she burned out his brain and consigned him to a uh, hidden ISO cube for the rest of time, basically. Which is a fast reading, but I think also like it's it's hard to recap these the the tech stuff without just sort of like saying without just reading it out, I guess. But um, there's cool stuff with, like, the different team members. You, you do get a sense of these different members of the team. There's, like, kind of an older um, telekinetic member and, like, like a flightier empath um, uh, uh, psychic. And then two judges that are very, like, world-weary and don't really like to dealing with these, psych- with these psychers and stuff like that, which is kind of fun. Um, and I'll also say that the, uh, the story or the... Uh, the, the possessed guy is being held at the Mavis Riley home for the debilitatingly de- <laughs> which is indeed a Coronation Street reference. Thank you very Coronation much. Coronation Street reference number 2332. <laughs> but I appreciate, I appreciate landing or uh, 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 landing an abnet showing up and having the brief that like, yes, we got to call, we got to name this place after Coronation Street so we can fit in, you know, like they're trying to be cool here. <laughs> I'll give it another couple of years and it'll be like Doc Cotton Brock and <laughs> na- Nasty Neck, Precepts and all other sorts of EastEnders references. Uh. <laughs> oh my, you know. I think we have actually made that trend, have gotten one or two EastEnders blocks as, um, or I guess like, like, like once John Wagner leaves Dread, I think, you know, it's, it's, it's wide open for Garth Ennis or whatever to start, start sliding in those EastEnders and, and, and a neighbor's blocks, I, you know, just, just, just some kind I of can believe opera, that. You know? <laughs> If I I gotta say if I was a dread if if I ever wrote a dread story I just purposefully like just have it all take place in a big like multi block like Beverly Hills nine zero two one zero like section of the city or something like that you know I don't know but um 
Yeah, but I don't know. Uh, it's it's a it's a it's a neat tech story, like you said. Like I think it it is actually really well written, and um, the art's really fun too. Just a lot of these sort of like psych like like scenes of psychic ability and stuff like that. that I think I, I, yeah, I think it's really early neat. work by Anthony Williams as well, which is nice to see as well. You're, you're- yeah, he's got a really interesting take on these characters. It, it it doesn't look very much like the prog, which I think makes it makes it stand You'll out. You'll be seeing well. a lot of him in the seven hundreds and onwards. <laughs> oh man, you make it sound like a bad thing, but I don't know. I'm ready to go. I'm always like, you know, always happy to see these. I, I'm happy when these annuals are sort of probing grounds for new talent and stuff. I think that's a uh, a fun time. Oh man. <laughs> Uh, okay, so let's move on here to Thrill 4 Questionnaire, Alan Grant. I wonder what very, very famous American comic books well-renowned one he's currently writing at the moment of this questionnaire. <laughs> yeah, Alan Grant doesn't... <laughs> Alan Grant doesn't give a shit about British comics at this point. <laughs> he's... Like his yeah, his first couple of answers are definitely just like yeah. Listen, I'm working on Batman now, so like you guys just need to leave me alone. <laughs> He's got like just like um unlike Wagner with the droopy stuff, they've given him some uh, some slightly floppy Batman ears here, um, just. <laughs> To show his his recent stuff, and I mean, yeah, in in ninety, he's deep in Batman. He's like making a few big characters and things like yeah, that. Yeah, this would um, be the beginning of his long run, which leads into Nightfall and stuff, wouldn't it? Wouldn't about that time. I believe so. Yeah, I think he's sort of coming in, and like you know, that's why, for instance, in his uh, his favorite artists, for instance, while it is mostly big two thousand AD guys, he does. Put in uh, Norm Brayfogel in there, who was his frequent uh, uh, art collaborator in um, in his Batman stuff. Yeah, I would, I would, I, I would have it. Norm Carlos, obviously, God rest him, and Barry Kitson amongst my favorite artists as well. Definitely, yeah. I mean, I feel yeah, like you know, again, he's got uh, uh, Mike McMahon and Simon Bisley as well as Carlos and Bar- and uh, and uh, Barry Kitson, and yeah, I mean, the, you know, again. These are all top guys, <laughs> the guys that I you know I really look forward to, and that Grant's worked with a lot in his um, in his uh, in, in, in his dread work as well as elsewhere. I really like that um, his favorite word is is still dark, <laughs> which is a nice callback to that one uh, uh, Kev O'Neill dread story and stuff. That's pretty. Ah, uh, that story that I remember that is fantastic. Definitely, yeah. It's one of those. It's like the. It's like one of the. You know, one of those. T- like the two. Like those two Kev O'Neill dreads really like gave us like incredibly iconic, crazy ass covers. I think and and really left. I, I feel like left a lot of like had a lot of impact for someone who didn't actually work on dread all that much. But what he did it really counted. Oh yeah, he did a lot of good dread covers. <laughs> Yeah, that Vark one. That uh, oh yeah, one, that that, one, that, that one's, one's great. Really the greatest with the with the cyborg chin and stuff. Um, <laughs> but hey, speaking of uh, weirdos out on the cursed earth, let's go <laughs> to Thrill Five, Jonathan Livingston, Dog Vulture, uh, script robot Alan Grant, art robot Paul Marshall, letter robot Dozy, who I'm not sure who that one is. I couldn't figure. I couldn't. Um, I have no clue. So they <laughs> figure out who? Yeah, that uh, pseudonym. But um, 
Yeah, this one's clearly, of course, based on the novella Jonathan Livingston Seagull, but it's about uh, dog vultures, the the weird, the the uh, cre- the weird cre- uh, scavenging cre- creatures of the cursed earth. And I'll say, based on the look of this thing, it looks like it was originally going to be a color comic that was reverted to grayscale for the page. I always the end. I always figured that even uh, back then that this does look like it could have been color. So why is it in grayscale? <laughs> I think there's just limited numbers of color pages for the annual. Like, you know, there's never, there's rarely a full color annual, I think. Um, there's always some gray stuff, but usually that's where they put, like, you know, your your text stuff or your or other fillers and stuff. Um, but this time they just seemed, it seemed like they misjudged it, so they just had to toss this guy in, in gray. Just because, like, usually when it's black and white, it's mostly just black and white. But this one's got, like, a whole bunch of different shades of gray, which seems like colors that have been, that have been filtered or whatever. Um, it's been a while since I've read Jonathan Livingston Seagull, I gotta admit. Um, but this actually seems like a full parody of it, just sort of in... Like a uh, a meaner cursed earth kind of way. It, it's pretty much Jonathan Livingston Seagull, except snarky and full of the Judge Dread that we are all accustomed to. That's what it feels like to me. Yeah, and like full full of murder and mutations and stuff like that as well. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, like uh, JLS is very much sort of focused on like flying and the love of flight and stuff. But in this case, JLDG is also sort of flying for the purpose of dive, bo- dive bombing things and, and killing and eating them and stuff like that. Um, in the end, his attempts at flight get him kicked out of his dog vulture tribe. Like, get out of here, jerk. And so he flies off, arrives in Mega City 1 and tries to start dive bombing people. But all he does is end up crashing right into Judge Fall Paul guy. guy. <laughs> and knocking him <laughs> out cold. Uh, I love and, that. Uh, I love that joke. Jokes. That moves. <laughs> <laughs> it's F-A-L-L-G-I-E for the record. So you might miss it if you are just reading it instead of like saying it out loud or something. That's definitely what it is. Uh, <laughs> And in the end, Fall Guy's taken to um, taken to the medic, and Jonathan Livingston Dog Vulture's taken to the Justice Department stew pots. Oh no! And if this was a future shock, you would be hearing blah 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 right now. <laughs> Absolutely. Listen, this is this is very much an air horn. It's like, blah, 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 I love um I love this chef judge with his mustache and his chef's hat that he's wearing over his judge helmet. His helmet's got a C on the on the badge because that's for the chef, buddy. That's what it is. <laughs> Just got a cleaver he's about to take to this thing. It's pretty solid. Uh, <clears throat> ah, fun stuff. But that takes us to a, a rich vein of thriller or of a filler. Here in the annual uh, Thrill Six, Questionary and Gibson, The Lawmaster, and Johnny Alpha. More questions, and this time for the uh, Halo Jones and Sam Slade artist. I like his uh, his his character picture here is just sort of the eye of Ian Gibson, and then surrounded by a bunch of different characters. A lot of them Robo Hunter guys and some fantasy folks, and like. 
a not quite Halo Jones, I think. He's sort of trying to maybe like not just draw big attention to that part of the parts because I feel like it'll it'll ang- it'll make people angry if he talks to you. I think we it. can safely say it's just Halo Jones with the barcode file though. <laughs> exactly. Very much so. Very now, much what so. interests me um, about this one is unlike our two writing friends earlier, this one is mostly privileged to it. There's no Jokey ones. Yeah, I mean, he, <laughs> I mean, I think I he, he keeps talking about golf. I feel like that's his his jokey parts. You know, like what do you carry with you? Golf clubs. Who do you most admire? Gary Player, who's a golfer. What's your favorite word for? Like these are some golfy stuff here. Um, you know, I do like as a as a sci-fi nerd, I like that his favorite writers are John Wagner and Robert Heinlein. That's pretty solid. Um, but yeah, like you said, otherwise it is very a pretty straight interview and just sort of a, a presaging. I, I, I guess he's on this one because of the uh, of the classic dread we've got later in the annual here. Um, but and so next up, there's the uh, the Lawmaster, which is just a a technical drawing of uh dread's bike and its various uh special abilities and stuff it's it's signed by uh steve uh, baskerville who i believe did pro- probably did lawmaster as I'm, well i'm wondering um, if this is reprint from somewhere because it feels different compared to all the rest of the stuff in the annual if that makes any sense i mean i agree um honestly if like this is one and i'm basing a lot of this on what's in the dread special this year where i'm wondering if some of these things like this and the lawgiver were both like like a like a role playing game like things like from like because in the in the in in the dread special this year um there was a a big section of Mega City slang that then had a thing that it was copyright games workshop. So I believe it was just sort of a of a supplement from like a dread role playing game book, basically. And I could see a similar thing like oh this yeah, that's well. right. Um, not to date this episode or anything, but I literally just listened to that episode a bit an hour before we begin recording. So yeah, that is quite fresh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, I feel like that this could be the same thing where there's sort of like, man, we need four pages. Like, okay, like we can do this. Like, it's fine, <laughs> you know. Oh, and then our final one is a uh, is is just a one page um, breakdown of Johnny Alpha. You know, the strontium dog. Um, just sort of who he, you know, name, where he's from, relatives, and then a whole bunch of uh, of just an, an index of appearances in the Prague as well as special editions. I like to think stuff. of that as young David Page's back issue last back in the day. Unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately, right, like, go, go unfortunately I never did get the Star Wars stuff until they were reprinted years later, but I think I did manage to get a fairly uh, complete collection of Strontium Dog other than the Star Wars stuff. <laughs> oh, that's excellent. Yeah, I do like, you know, I feel like, uh, you know, most of the Star, m- like, beyond the actual Star Lords, I don't think you're missing much from like, the specials and the annuals from what I've seen, but yeah. All this classic, all these classic um, Strontium Dog things, just real, like, oh, I remember this stuff. Um, 
Yeah, it's funny they talk about uh, Ruth, uh, Ruth, his sister, but don't mention uh, her daughter or husband who we saw briefly in Star-Lord and then kind of disappeared from uh, To from be reality, fair, Ruth you know? kind of disappeared from reality as well, except for a brief cameo in Portrait of a Mutant. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Well, I mean, she she told him not to come back, so I guess he's, she's sort of honoring, he's honoring her wishes or something, but yeah. But so enough of this filler. Let's get back to the real stuff with Thrill Seven Top Dogs Part Two. Um, the <laughs> Dread interviews the witnesses. The killers were po- quite polite. One was bearded. Um, <laughs> um, it's looking like the Vic was the victim was a time jumper. They found a coin from twenty one sixty nine in the radiator. You know, and basically the question is, who could have done all this? And here's where we get the reveal, because it's Johnny Alpha and Wolf. Oh yeah. Hell yeah. They're both alive and like I like we said previously, full pulp fiction here with these with these sweet suits and uh business like demeanor. Kinda surprising with suits will actually. <laughs> Yeah, I mean it's fun. Like it's it. I I I wonder if it's one of these things where they think they're dressed to fit in in Mega City One, but because it's like a hundred years ago, like like or eighty years ago, like no one's really sure about what the fashions are and stuff. Because <laughs> like instead they actually really stand out because they like don't have knee pads and stuff, but like. You know, they're trying to. It's one of these things where they're trying to be cool and blend in, but instead just stick out like sore thumbs. I think. (laughs) So they go to they go to get their uh, get their target. He's taking a shower, but as they break in, an alarm goes off, and Ringo comes out of the shower shooting. They corner him in a room, and Ringo goes to climb out a window. But when he gets outside, he realizes that he's many stories up and afraid of heights. And so um, Johnny pulls him back in by one of his earrings, which rips off in the process. So we've got some blood here. Um, but and a judge does see him from the ground, so they're hot on the and they're you know pursuing him otherwise. So listen, there's just these guys are in trouble. Is the basic answer. Um, um, as um, the Strontium dogs go to leave the hotel with Ringo in handcuffs, they meet one of the judges and they got to <laughs> run. They run through the hotel. There's a pretty classic like chase scene stuff as this chase then leads them into the hotel's restaurant and kitchen. And Wolf, like as he goes, like grabs and eats, you know, snatches someone's sausage and takes a bite out of it. And then it's like, ah, that's terrible. And tosses it in a stew pot as he goes. Pretty good stuff here. Um, they go out the back of the hotel and uh, steal a car and Johnny as they go shoots Judge Reed with a stun bolt oh man take that Judge Reed it's getting serious Uh, Ringo shouts to the judges to help him and then of course gets the stern hammer silencer instead sock that's silenced this guy and Hitler among others (laughs) And the way Wolf is saying that, I'm guessing it's probably the same soak as well. <laughs> well, I mean, I f- we'll learn from the timelines that it's going to be this guy and then Hitler, actually. But yes, it's definitely... This has become part of the repertoire already. Um, so, um, the, as they escape, the car, their car gets hit by a bike can and goes screeching off, off the road 
into like they sort of fall into a huge like mall but they land in like a mattress store which seems to cushion their fall at least slightly i guess <laughs> that is very convenient for them <laughs> definitely you know listen they gotta you, you gotta be a little bit blessed by 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 eventualities when you are a uh when you're a strontium dog um things are looking real bad honestly as the judges keep coming they pass a pass a naked lady in a hover bed as you do and then escape back out into the larger mall and finally as they stand at the top of the escalator at the bottom of the escalator it's judge Dredd! oh they are buck up now <laughs> you guys are you guys are fucked now yeah it's bad times um uh, Johnny decide. Uh, Johnny, hearing that Dredd's the big lawman here, decides to uh, try to explain what's going on. Basically, like, listen, I'm a bounty hunter from the future. This guy's a mass murderer, also from the future. I'm just bringing him back. This is a legal. I'm a legally authorized search destroy agent, fully licensed. Like, don't worry about this past man. We're just doing future stuff. <laughs> and Judge Dredd <laughs> is not impressed. <laughs> I love this, just this part where he says, you know, I'm Johnny's like, I'm doing a, a favor removing this scum. Dredd's like, can't do that. I'm the law in this city. Whatever you are, wherever you come from, here, you're just a criminal, and that means you do time. It's pretty solid. Hell yeah. Um, the boys burst into action. Um, Wolf gets hit immediately in the leg by a ricochet round um, as Johnny shoots Dread in the face with a flare and then kicks him right in the head. And the two of them start scuffling around. Really awesome sections here. We see that like, uh, he knocks Dread into a meatish pie stand and the two of them just start slugging. Like, you know, he, he grabs Johnny's gun arm and Johnny gets full like, oh, his grip's like iron. As Dredd's not impressed by his future moves. Really great um, uh, full page of Dredd punching Johnny <laughs> and, in the face. And, and if this really was another solid. certain 2008 podcast, this would be my grill page. <laughs> oh, absolutely. This one's really great. Like, if, a, if I have one regret, is that it's that they didn't go full uh, Fist of Dread in this image, you know? Like, if they... I just want I just want every major comic books character to be to be punched that way. You know, they they do it for Batman. And so I'm ready. I'm, I'm ready to see it for Johnny Alpha. Um, as they scuff, scuffle, Johnny does like a leg toss of Dread through a plate glass window and then gets attacked. And then Dread tosses a wilder, a stuffed wildebeest at Johnny Alpha. It's really great. Just these guys like uh, 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 toss, like fighting around and just using the environment and stuff. This loyal order of the wildebeest Dread's been tossed into seems very weird as it's mostly. Uh, I seems to be naked. I never with wildebeest. I hats. never noticed that there was a fully naked guy on that page way back then <laughs> I never noticed that yeah listen I, I, honestly I'm just noticing it now and I feel like it is one of these things where when you're when you're normally reading it you're watching this fight and you're so into it that you're just like turning the pages because you want to see what's going on and what's next and they've done that thing like you know have you ever seen that like video where they tell you to, to count how many times someone's dribbled dribbles a basketball but like 
also in the background, like a dude in a gorilla suit comes out in the background <laughs> and stuff. And like, and like, it's real crazy, but because you're so focused on counting the dribbles, you don't even notice it. You know, it's it's like one of those ones where you can just sort of slide it in because the action's got you so got you so hooked in to the to the main parts. So you can just get side stuff um, however you want. Um, but yeah, it's great. The two of them are like facing off. Dread. It seems like Dread's pretty much about to kick Johnny's ass, or these two are, or Johnny's gonna have to start using like futuristic deadly martial arts or whatever until from behind there's a flare and and wolf stuns dread in the back oh it's awesome i i love what he says as well looks like wolf will be sharing the cell with you johnny it's excellent yeah man these guys are buddies it, I really like um I, I really like McNeil's wolf actually here. He's got these um like waxed mustaches that 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 like stick out from his head and stuff. This is a real like this um even more so I think than Johnny, this wolf in a suit is a really strong look for him. Like this is a really solid wolf look, I think. Um and oh, and we're just good at that and, and that's it. Like Dred's been stunned, and now we're moving on to be continued once more. Uh, and so let's continue with an even thicker vein of filler with Thrill 8, My Life is a Dog, Questionnaire Jamie Hewlett, Lawgiver Spec Scan, and Covers 1989. Um, so first we've got this. So yeah, this is the reason why I became a fan of Strontium Dog and I picked up a, that stray issue of 2000 AD where he died. Because I was ab- oh, I was nice, absolutely yeah. interested in Johnny Alpha's story and I wanted to read more about him. It's just too bad the issue that I picked was the one where he kind of died. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because I feel like especially Johnny's all over these annuals. He's got a real big story in um in the in the 2000 AD annual this year as well and it's very like oh you guys like these you guys are just jerks here you know like I, 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 if I if I didn't feel in, if I didn't know any better I would feel like the two annuals this year are kind of like the memorial to Johnny Alpha annuals without outright saying that the memorials to Johnny Alpha <laughs> I mean they could be frankly like this one is a very like so this, I should say, this story is, uh, or like like news article, I guess, is, or actually, is, sorry, not news article, but like first person life story of Johnny Alpha compiled by Mike Butcher, who writes a lot of annual features and stuff like that. It's sort of uh, Alpha's um, autobiography, basically. And I think it's kind of fun because it talks about like Portrait of a Mutant and it talks about the Ragnarok job, but it kind of ends there. So it is very much like Johnny's life story up until like the start of Star Lord or something like that. So yeah, but so yeah, um, I should me- this, also mention yeah. that because of that, I didn't realize Wolf was dead by this point. So I'm just seeing this oh, awesome yeah. character I like just getting shot in a flashback in the issue that Johnny died. So I that was kind of like a double shot for me. <laughs> yeah, because they do they do recap that as well when when he when he gets killed and stuff. Oh man, that's tough. What I do think is kind of cool, or I don't know, what I'm wondering about actually is where the art for this um for this comes from because it doesn't look familiar to me 
from progs and stuff it's got actually kind of a steve dylan feel I yeah think. i have this um, weird feeling that with the exception of maybe that young johnny alpha one i think all of the rest is just brand new art for that specifically it's crazy that because that, that that it's not credited or anything like that too like i don't know like i'm like part of me wonders if my if my uh if my role-playing game thing continues and there was a strontium dog supplement for something and they sort of paid for that or something like that as, as, a, as a secondary uh, plot, just because like there are these sort of forward-facing pictures of both Wolf and Johnny Alpha that look like they could be for, from like a source book or something like that. God, that uh, my my D and D mindset. God, that would have been all over uh, Strontium Dog RP. I gotta, <laughs> yeah. I mean, there there is stuff coming out for sure and ways to do it, but yeah, it's very um. I got. I I didn't have time to do my to do the research I'd I'd have liked to do because these this art is yeah it does seem like it's new and it's weird that you I feel like it's weird you'd have it just for the for the annual like this like this random picture of a uh, of a uh, Nelson Bunker Creelman and a young Johnny and stuff. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it does like I like I I think. Especially this this Creelman's like the jaw gives it a very uh, Steve Dillon feel to me. <laughs> yes, I think I think it's the jaws that kind of give it away that might be Steve Dillon's work. Yeah, like you know, sort of picking up these these cues for these artists, I guess. Um, but let's go on to this uh, questionnaire of a uh, of a uh, Jamie Hewlett cover, of course. <laughs> and now we're back to the nonsense. <laughs> yeah, this one's real, real over the top here. You know, he's like he, his 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 opening quest, his opening uh, personal statement is all work and no play makes JB a dull boy. You know. All these are real joke answers and things like that, um, or alternately references to uh, to deadline. Like, like his one serious serious answer is a ref is a uh, is a call out to deadline. You know, <laughs> like where he's doing tank girl and stuff like that. Yeah. Also, I should I should point um, I should point out that that is definitely an artist portrait of Jamie Hewlett because something similar to that shows up in Hewlett's haircut in the background. In the seven hundreds, <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, we're we're about to talk about it on the, on the podcast, but I feel like like every time there's a credit page in in in, uh, in Hooligan's haircut, he draws himself and uh, and Milligan as well, sort of standing in the background or by the credits card and stuff like that. That's that's ca- that really that's how I can recognize that that's supposed to be Jamie Hewlett himself. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. And I mean, I don't know, for me, I just recognize it because this is the image they have for the artist's picture in uh, in in Barney in 2008.org. Like, that's just what he looks like, I guess. You know, he's got a big head with a cross shaved into it. That's how it goes. Like, you know. Um, so next, we've got another one of these um, designs of a lawgiver. Uh, as you mentioned um, earlier, maybe possibly part of an RP thingy. Possibly. It's definitely good got that look of just sort of talking about all these different parts and stuff though it feels like if you wanted to sort of know what the lawgiver does this feels pretty definitive and stuff i'm pretty interested by the viewfinder on the back of the gun where they show like oh yes it can actually show images from the barrel and various sighting things and stuff like that just because i've never seen it used that way and of course the comic it's just always sort of hanging out but rarely does anybody use their lawgivers of, of viewfinder for sighting and stuff like that. Um, 
So after that, we go to this uh, breakdown of top Dread covers from the year 1989, chosen by various creative droids and stuff. This must be quite nostalgic for you. (laughs) I mean, it definitely brings back a lot of these thoughts. I I really agree that or – like I agree with, or I think uh, 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 Will Simpson really had a great um, had a great cover year in 1989. He did like the 650 cover and the 624 and the uh, six and yeah, no, sorry, uh, uh, John Higgins. I mean, sorry, I got it all mixed up. Uh, Higgins did like the uh, the 650 cover. He did the Sea of Dad brand uh, Benankia cover. He did this one of him like just walking out of the Dreadroll. Walking out of the fog and stuff. These are solid, solid covers. They're a lot of fun. Um, but I think there's also good other good choices like a Cliff Robinson. I think to, you know doing his standard excellent dread cover work and whatever. And they they call out us uh, Mick Austin Prog Six Eighteen, which is probably my least favorite cover ever. But I I understand Alan McKenzie's point about the distorted dread. Like I you know I guess they're trying for something, but that's not really what I'm looking for in my 2080 covers. You know, <laughs> I don't know. I love I I do like this Cliff Robinson one where Dread's got the massive underbite as well. That's pretty solid. Like he's so angry, <laughs> he's ready to go. Um, so after that, we've got, oh, sorry, uh, uh, which ones do you like? Do you have any, uh, any, any faves in this, um, in, in this class of, uh, uh got to agree with the, uh, the 651. The 651 is really, really good. Definitely. It lo- I feel like it, lo- it, lo- this one loses so much in the black and white on this page though, just because I know in the actual 650 cover it's just this like massive explosion of blues and reds and different colors all it's like a prism almost there's so many colors involved in it awesome so after that there's an ad for the 2080 annual which we talked about earlier in the week how is moonrunner still around i don't understand well, i was going to say this that that uh, annual kind of feels like the island of misfit flows that do not fit in the prog anymore <laughs> I, I, I genuinely yeah, think they might have had a script or something lying about and they just said, ah, shove it in the annual. Nobody's going to notice. Something, I mean, like so much, especially like both the 2000 AD annual and the sci-fi special feel like these, um, well, like the two th- the sci-fi special feels like it's where Alan McKenzie's uh, passion projects go for the record. But um, the annual, the, the 2000 AD annual really feels like, listen, we've got some stuff left over. Let's just toss it in there. I mean, there's been two Moonrunner stories in there and a random uh, Night Zero story this time. It's just like, what are we doing here, guys? You know, it's the last annual. Like, don't do this. I feel me. like they are slowly going up to be full cover, and they just kind of have to burn away some of those black and white stuff from the past. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, you know, next year with the with the yearbooks, like I said, those are like fifty pages, and it's just sort of the new the new stuff. So they are sort. It does seem like they are sort of trying to. Get some things out. Or of saying that, I think the Judge Dread yearbook of nineteen ninety two might have a wee bit of the let's throw the stuff in that we don't want anymore too, because of straight jacket fits in the Soul Sisters. But that may just be me. Mm, it could be. I haven't. I admit, I haven't looked at him a ton. Like I try not to get to get too far ahead because it'll just confuse me. Um, 
<laughs> but I guess speaking of just getting things out the door here, because this feels like a because like two tech stories that feels like a lot in an annual. We've got Thrill Nine Recycle. It's John Smith. It's full of body horror. What are you expecting? One hundred percent. Yeah, script about John Smith, art about Sean Phillips, and yeah, and listen, big old eight-page text story of John Smith insanity here. Um, First-person tale of a Mega City One version of Norman Bates. His dead mom's yelling at him. He works it, recycling, like you say. Yeah, there's some pretty lurid descriptions of what that's like, just butchering pe- like human beings and stuff like that. Then uncomfortable insanity things. This is kind of a tough, a tough story, it, actually. It, it, it is definitely a tough story to read, but goddamn it, I like it. <laughs> It's definitely fun. Like, I definitely like the, um, like, again, it's just sort of this, this portrait of an insane person working in a really terrifying workplace that I think really, um, creates a scary situation. Um, I'll say that I believe Bates or, a, or a Norman lives in the Saul Bass block, which is the guy who did the, uh, the title cards and a bunch of other visual stuff for the movie Psycho, among other films. It's that sort of the, the reference here, and I believe there's a couple other Psycho the movie references in the course of like building and, and street names. Yeah, and stuff like I that. think there's a couple of them. Yeah, sort of scattered, but yeah, good stuff. I like the art here as well. There's sort of yeah, like um the um uh, Phillips's black and white stuff really like has the, has like all these ink blotches and things that really add to the sense of uh, unreality to it. I think. I. I like that particular artist. I think he's going to do some good things in the future. Hey, oh man, I didn't look him up, so I feel like you're you're setting me down a primrose path here. But still, oh trust, um. oh trust me, <laughs> Big Meg Run uh, Conrad will be thanking me. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot, there's so much of that crazy stuff in uh, in in the magazine. I haven't even even really looked at it yet too much, so it's sort of. Very much a, uh, what you call it. Like, uh, it's going to be an exciting time. So let's go to Thrill 10 Questionnaire Colin McNeil. Another nice guy. I've met him before. He's great. Oh, nice. Yeah, this one's a pretty straight interview. I think it's really interesting because he, because like he says he, he's 24 in this one. And it definitely seems like he kind of grew up with 2000 AD. He's talked about how he had a had some art printed in a Prague one like like fan art printed in Prague 121 and stuff. Let, um, which I do believe he did. <laughs> yeah, and then sort of you know grew up and became a uh, 2000 AD artist, which is pretty solid. I do like that he just seems to have general nerd stuff because his favorite books are. Uh, Guards, Guards by Terry Pratchett and and, and they have funny Alan, and, and a silly Alan Dean Foster. I, I can well. I, I can I can believe that this would have been me up but that age as well, so I can believe it. <laughs> I I, <laughs> I remember I my early twenties was my Terry Pratchett phase as well. Oh, nice. Yeah, I mean, this definitely feels like uh, like like a nerd living the dream in the course of this questionnaire for sure. <laughs> So that takes us. So that takes us to. Oh man, here we go. Speaking of Colin McNeil, let's do Top Dogs Part Three. Um, with Dread out of the way, it's time to go. <laughs> the dog. Uh, 
They got to run, but of course, um, Wolf's going slow because he's been leg shot. He says, like, leave him behind. And, and Johnny's like, what? No way. Come on, buddy. We're going. Um, the judges are in hot pursuit, though. And so the dogs go to hide in an attorney's office as Dredd comes to. He sort of follows after them. And they definitely seem to be cornered in this um, in this office behind the door. But luckily... Johnny is without any chances, but he's not without a brain, so he's got an idea. And I would just like to point out that you always say that there's always like a die-hard situation in certain comics. Well, now we've got a Back to the Future Part 2 situation now. I was about to I was about to say that he's gonna back to the future he's back to the future toing here as he engages this lawyer to send a letter to the future. I I love I Set love it, it that we both went to the same place. <laughs> oh absolutely. I mean that's a, that's a big part of that movie. That you know, that's like the big part of the end of that movie, or just like, hey, like we've been waiting for this for five you know, for tw- for sixty years or whatever. But yeah, so he writes a letter and engages the lawyer to give it to the doghouse or to have somebody give it to the doghouse in uh, November 12th, 2176. This is officially four years before the start of Star-Lord Strontium Dog, which is in 2180. Um, He pays for it by by ripping some some more earrings out of Ringo's ear and just tossing them to the lawyer. And we see him locking locking the letter in a vault, and that's sort of how it goes. Um, it was a really I love this moment as um as Dredd as the lawyer locks up the letter, Dredd kicks down the door, and as he sort of tells Johnny and Wolf to raise their hands, Johnny and Wolf just like the time the time travel stuff sparks around them and they like turn again like start to turn gold and then just fade out of existence like i said you win and then again you lose johnny's shit-eating grin as he disappears is amazing (laughs) wolf too like these guys these guys are so proud of themselves for having just totally just totally like like one up to dread in every possible way it's excellent They warp back into the doghouse and um, we sort of get, again, sort of the explanation of what happened here. The letter telling them where they are to (laughs) teleport. I love this hand-drawn, like, diagram of where they are in the building. Like, warp us out here, guys. Like, here's the window. Like, whatever. And they talk about how they use, how they had to, like had to find the f- the floor plan of the Snyder building to be able to figure out, like, where it was and stuff like that. But they send uh, Ringo off to be processed, like see that und see der sock is washed und returned, <laughs> like good stuff. And you know the two boy and, and the two guys sort of go to take their their uh, I, I guess maybe it's their like post time travel quarantine showers or something like that. And you know Johnny sort of explains that he could have taken dread at any moment if he wanted to. You know uh, it was that wildebeest that got me. You know. All that stuff. Um, but yeah, so back in the back in the past, the judges are picking up the pieces. Like, damn, goddamn time jerks! I hate this. You know, we lost our part, and it ends the real great thing of dreads of a uh, of one judge saying that the case is closed. And dreads saying, "Nope, not closed. The warrant re- the warrant remains out. No one escapes the law. Sooner or later, I'll have them." Which, of course, 
sets up a situation that we'll see revol- resolved later in both the Prague and 1992 the is going to be an interesting year. <laughs> oh, listen, I'm I'm excited and worried about um how the, how the how that's going to work, but I think it's going to be a lot of fun one way or another. Oh yeah, you're going to have to figure you're going to have to figure out how to do a crossover. Yeah, <laughs> that's going to be interesting. That's right. Yeah, listen, like this is like okay, I I, I gotta say, um, you know, whatever, um, side side special info for people who listen to the annual issues, but I'll tell you, it's something I've got plans for that I've been honestly like, there's a couple things that um are complicated situations with this comic that I've been thinking about from when I started this podcast with Fox in 2016, you know. Of like, so how would I do the magazine? And then the crossovers, how would we do that? I've got some plans, don't worry about it. Like, you know, I think, like, uh, like I've, I've, I've got a couple options, but I think, uh, I think I've got ones that will keep people happy. So, let's finish up here with Thrill 12 Killer Car. Uh, script wrote by John Wagner, art wrote Ian Gibson, color wrote by John Burns, letter wrote by Tom Frame. Classic thrill power here, jumping back to 1978 for some dread on Luna 1 action. This story ran from Prague 53 to 56, and our episodes 15 and 16. And I would just like to point out that I do have the original copy of this, but for convenience's sake, I did use a... CBR file of it, and weirdly the CBR file uses the Eagle Comics version of it. Oh yeah, yeah, that that is weird. I hate you know, jeez, these. I feel like um, you know these these illegal scans or of that I have at least, or sorry, uh, 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 uh backup scans of real comics I totally own do sometimes get really weird with the with this um. With some of these filler things, like I've I've had ones where, like I think it was the first mega special where they had um they had like like the daily a daily dread collection, but it was the version of the daily dreads that were reprinted in the magazine or something, and so like like it ended with an ad for like a Devlin War story, and I was like, what? <laughs> like that this timeline doesn't make any sense to me. What's yeah, I, I was just going to say that because oh. when I looked at this file this morning, because I did a refresher read, I was trying to remember if it was in color in the original one that I had, and then I looked at my original one, and nope, it's definitely black and white in the original one. <laughs> Yeah, that's why they've. Th- 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 that's why. Um, while I sort of mixed up, that's why they've snuck the coloring. Um, like the the coloring credit has been has been cheekily added on after the uh, the lettering credit in this verse, this version. Um, so okay, <laughs> this has taken place while Dread was on the moon in the Luna One stories. I think it's right after. The uh, Brian Ballin Space Olympics um, um, story where they fought the Sovs and the, you know, the, the Sov, the, uh, the uh, East Meg, Mega City One rivalry first began. Um, so anyway, some dude, he buys his dream sci-fi supercar and gives it an AI, the AI personality of a 10-year-old kid, which doesn't seem like a good idea. It calls him dad and stuff. Don't like that. Uh-uh. Um... But anyway, he drops a wrench in the car by accident and messes up its circuitry. And now the car's on a rampage. It starts killing people, 
doing crazy stuff and kill it uh ejects this dude into uh into death and stuff it's pretty solid and <clears throat> because of that it means now dreads coming after him he's on a ramp he's uh, out for blood car blood would that not be oil <laughs> good point He's out for that life oil of this vehicle. I do. I want to say I, I, I always love these uh, Luna One judge costumes. They've got the capes and stuff like that. That's pretty. That's a solid. A solid. Can't judge be practical. Look. Um, I mean, listen, I, you know, I, I've heard the same um, the same claims about capes being bad that everybody <laughs> else has. I've, I've read my Watchmen. I've seen my my Incredibles, you know. But but just as a treat, I like an occasional cape on a judge. You know, it doesn't have to be always. Like every every thirty or forty years is enough for me. I think they all, these guys also have hover bikes as well. I should mention and like there's a big Texan. While dreads the chief the like the chief lawman, there are sort of some secondary law guys from uh, from Texas City as well. Sort of presaging that um, piece of of a of a of a dread world uh uh geography or whatever um the judges are on the case as elvis the killer car hides in a parking lot and then goes through all the other cars and pulls out their like the non-evil circuitry from their cars basic from their ais basically and makes them all evil um just bad times and suddenly there's a whole pack of killer cars going everywhere it's a rampage and, 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 so, and suddenly one dread mega epic has another mega epic in the middle of it as the runner mega epic goes the way of having another robot war except it's not really a war it's more of a skirmish yeah this is just yeah just another sort of brick in dread's anti-robot wall i think in terms of just like what these what these computers can do um it's killer cars all over, and Elvis is using them as cover to keep from getting killed, from getting destroyed himself. He runs into a shopping mall, and because he's still just a kid, he's like stealing toys for himself and stuff like that. He escapes dread, calls himself the gingerbread car, like the gingerbread man, I guess. Uh, it's weird, kind of weird stuff here, honestly. Um, Eventually, um, the judges pull out a big thing of corrosive spray and hose down all the uh, all the all the evil cars to a big just kind of big slag heap of stuff. Which again, good Ian Gibson stuff. Very disturbing deaths of the of all these cars. Pretty solid. Um, but then uh, Elvis is laying low in somebody's apartment as so Dread calls him out because again he's a kid. By uh, taunting him on Luna One on, on a on a on a Luna City television, basically, I'm like, oh, listen, like, he's afraid to come out because I, Judge Dread, am too darn smart for him, too smart and too <laughs> tough. <laughs> I could beat him with the one little finger. That makes uh, Elvis so pissed that he goes back out, finds Dread waiting for him, but what he does. He grabs Dread and smacks him inside his like I don't know like what would you call it like his uh in, in inside of him inside his cockpit or whatever, and holds Dread hostage. Oh no! <laughs> this leads to some very weird, but I feel like very Ian Gibson kind of things where they have a big parade with ladies and stuff for 
for Elvis, like sort of a a a, a moment that feels very Robo. Yeah, that's as uh, that's definitely feels very Robo Hunter. Like like as Elvis parades down the streets of Mega City One, as 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 ladies in costumes like uh sing sing a song that he takes part in, you know. Who, who spread fear throughout the cities? Who's so smart the law can't touch him? Elvis, that's me. Uh, and all that kind of stuff. In the end, though, so much um, as um, as the as the as uh, the assembled Luna One townsfolk, mostly ladies, crowds around Elvis. Um, one of the um, it seems like there's a chemistry dread man to snag a chemistry set. From the toys among uh, inside Elvis's cockpit, and then uses it to set fire to the inside of Elvis's like um, like upholstery or something. And so Dread gets ejected to safety and sends in the uh, the the, the Corrodo <laughs> burners or the or the Corrodo gunners <laughs> to shoot acid at Elvis and melt him down just to a pool of slag. The gingerbread car is no more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, listen, and so good, good, solid stuff here. Oh, like, like, uh, uh, Tex, Judge Dredge, assistant judge is like, that's all that's left of the car that never grew up. And Dredge just thinks, ah, but it would have been better for us if he'd never been born. Solid end. Good dread stories here. I will. <laughs> I will, ad- I will admit, okay. at the time when I read this originally, I didn't like this story. It felt off compared to the other stories, and it was only until much later I realised, oh, of course it feels off because it's an early dread story. Duh. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, it's got a whole different, I mean, it's a whole different ecosystem. This is like literally like like 12 years ago from 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 now from our from the from from 1990 and stuff so this is real like you know frosty chocolate milkshakes dread you know like he's sort of you know they're still figuring out the character here this is pre-cursed earth like there's not even a set way to draw dread yet really you know yeah i realize that now because i'm like obviously a fan now but at the time i didn't realize that <laughs> yeah no i could definitely see it be feeling really weird to a uh, to a to a new especially a new reader at the time or someone who wasn't familiar with especially like just the that sort of late 70s writing style as opposed to this newer one where stories can spread out a little bit more and it's not just like do 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 we got to keep going getting these cliffhangers and things like that absolutely so oh man dave i gotta ask you one key question as we reach the end of this annual which is, what are your top and bottom thrills here? 1991, Judge Dredd Annual. Well, oh, let's yeah. start with bottom, because I think we all know that the top's kind of obvious. And I would say that the bottom thrill is, unfortunately, sadly, Elvis the Killer Car. It is not bad, it is just below par compared to all the rest of the awesome stuff of this annual. As for top, well, top dogs... They really need to say anything more than top dogs. It's the, that's the re- that that strip <laughs> is the reason that got me into 2000 AD in the first place. So I am afraid it is going to be top dogs for the top spot. That's fantastic. I think actually I'm gonna I, I will just go full solidarity here. Like a, you you presaged this before we did the 
did the show, but I got to agree. Um, Top Dogs is so great. I lo- this story is really fun and just like the best way that you'd want to have um, these these you know these two the two biggest like like the two biggest characters in 2000 AD really kind of meet each other. Just of Johnny using all this time stuff, dread investigating, and the two of them meeting for just a knockdown drag out fight in the middle of it that ends with time shenanigans. Like that's just like. Everybody gets a chance to look cool and do their signature stuff. And it's so great, especially with Johnny dying and stuff, just to see Johnny and Wolf actually as well. This, these two departed characters come back and really just have a have a light, fun story where they get to bounce off Judge Dredd and be really cool. You know, these, this is a really cool story. As an eight-year-old me, I, re- I really liked it because I really liked the characters. As a... 30 year old me as a 30 as a odd okay let's just say as a 39 year old me yeah. <laughs> I like it for totally different reasons it is a meet up between two of my favourite characters and it is actually a pretty decent send off for Johnny considering what happens to him in the prog at the time yeah, absolutely. And I think it does sort of presage this idea that we can still have new Strontium Dog stories, that, you know, because he's got all this time travel stuff. You know, he can he can show up where he needs to, as the situation requires, you know? It's just a shame that's not the way Goffey and the school's rough up, but that's another day. <laughs> Indeed. Listen, you know, I mean, just, again, like, I'm, I'm you know, it, it, it's 90s, 2000 AD, so I'm willing to rest on potentials, even if we don't, um, <laughs> even if they don't may- maybe come true. And I'll agree with you about, about Elvis on the bottom as well. I was actually, su- I, I, I am surprised at how good a lot of the text, a, a lot of like the sort of standard bottom stuff in the course of this, like the text stories and stuff were in this one, like, a, you know, two real, two, two really good stories. Um, by existing in future talents and then even like the strontium dog sort of feature thing had interesting art and again like just sort of has this you know is a nice little snapshot of a period of strontium dog that i'm very nostalgic for at this point especially so close after the star and as i say that kind of got me interested in the character yeah, I mean, I think, like, that's what I really like, actually, just, you know, the idea that, you know, I, I, I love hearing your story about it, that this is what, what hooked you on 2000 AD and, and, and created a lifelong fandom. I think it's really awesome to hear those stories and just how, you know, how much that this comic means to people. I think it's, it's an important thing to remember, for sure. Awesome. All right. I hope everybody enjoyed the show. As always, you can find Space Spinner 2000 on iTunes, Stitcher, the Google Play Store, Spotify, or our podcast site, spacespinner2000.com. Contact us at spacespinner2000 at gmail.com, the 2080 forums, or our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages on Twitter. We're at Space Spinner 2K. Everything else, look up, look up Space Spinner 2000. You'll find us there. This show is brought to you by Steve Green and your friend at the 2080 Forums. If you'd like to join them and help support the show, we'd really appreciate it. Check out our Patreon at pa- our Patreon page at patreon.com slash Cradaline. That's our podcast network. There, you can support the show and receive a ton of excellent rewards, including advanced episodes, coverage of modern 2000 AD in the magazine, and monthly Q&As with Fox and myself. Sounds fantastic. It's a great... 
It's real great. Listen, I mean, you could if you had the Patreon, you could listen. You 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 could have listened to this show um, in like uh, early September instead of mid October, like you are if you're on the main feed. I'm just saying. So you could basically um, listen to this show that you're listening right now in early September instead of after my birthday. I mean, listen, we're, we're we're mixing it up, you know, one way or another. But happy future. Hi, thank you. Um, absolutely, Dave. Where can we find you on the internet? If you'd like well, to me and my friend Kazan uh, kind of sort of run this Let's Play channel on YouTube called the Jaded Desktop. We have lots of wonderful content on it and some not so wonderful content which you should really skip and just get to the good stuff. <laughs> but yeah, uh, currently at this moment, uh, as in this, at this episode, we are currently struggling through Final Fantasy VII Remake and we are planning to do Wild Arms 3 afterwards. And if, and not, and not only oh, that, nice. but if we can ever get the goblins out of our computers, we will be starting a podcast called Mind the Oranges Marlon, which I feel like I have trailed on all the podcasts I've been on so far, and there hasn't been a single episode of it out yet. But there should be an episode. Oh, man. we <laughs> should it's be okay. an episode of be- about Kazan's first reading of DR and Crunch up soonish. I promise. Nice. Excellent. Yeah. Okay. I'll. That, that's awesome. And I'll link to uh, to your, your YouTube page on in, in the show notes as well. So please check that out. Always excited for folks to check out folk. You know the uh, the, the our friends of the show. And I feel like definitely absolutely. I am a All friend right. of the show. <laughs> oh yes. <laughs> Listen, everybody is. So come back next Monday as we say goodbye to Trips. Necropolis nears the end game. Slain has to make some hard choices. Dry Run gets juiced, and we'll return one final time to the Kronos Carnival. And until then, I'm Conrad E. David. We are Space Fitter 2000. Monday, the flag.